You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. 1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, City of Champions. It is Detroit City of Champions, the podcast, and we are diving deep into the 1935-year, magnificent year, and the years around it, in Detroit sports, and uh, a trilogy of books written by author... Charles Avison. Hey, Charles, thanks Jamie. for coming in and, and, and hanging out. Uh, we never really planned this too, too, too in-depth. We're just kind of like, next week we're going to talk about the 1934 and the 1935 team in general. Uh, and so this this week we were thinking it's like the bad news bears, right? Because yep. uh, it was a ragtag fugitive fleet. Exactly. Where's that from? Where's that from? Ragtag fugitive fleet. Man, you got me on that. Battlestar Galactica. Okay, All right, no, ragtag fugitive fleet. Uh, it was like a bad news bears. It was just a, a, an ugly mess. So today we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, the Tigers and how they did 33, 34, and what led to uh, thirty five and that 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 lineup. Because last week we talked about. Mickey Cochran. Mickey Cochran and just how when he came in, he just infused and, and lit up the this team. But you, and I was surprised because you said he was the manager. And what surprised me that you told me last week was that uh, there wasn't big changes. He didn't make from the 33 nope. team that just was a S show. Terrible. Uh, yeah. there, there wasn't like these, you know, he came in and he was a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, One he of had, the best catchers in all of baseball. Yeah, he had chops. But besides him, you said there was like one other player. And for they the, had for, Charlie Garnier. That was really oh, I mean, as far as new guys, yeah, yeah. yeah and for the most part, guys, yeah. it, it, was, it was the it was yep. the same it was the same Dilio. And that's what I, and that's what's so like really interesting about this. And that's kind of like why I uh, you know it's like we're talking about the the bad news bears. Like you know, I kind of like you know just you know hearkening that name, like giving it to this episode. Yeah. Um, like you know, we we were even talking about like debating, like you know whether it should you know attach you know the modern day bad news bears to the concept of the thirty four Tigers, but. I think that it really, um, you know, I just, I like, I, the reason we did it is because it, it, it puts you in the frame of reference for the type of team this was in 1934. And um, we were talking about the roster. I mean, yes. there's just, I, I'm just the names, right? Yeah. You, you yep. got Roxy, oh, yeah. Roxy Lawson. Yep. You got, yep. is it Vic? You got Vic, you got Carl Furpo, maybe. Yeah, I actually have a yeah, I have a list here of all my favorite nicknames from the Chet. team. I systematically actually put together a list so we didn't forget any of them. Eldon, Eldon Ocker, that's a cool yep. old time. Well, like, his nickname was Big Six. I was ah. I wanted to point out some of the great nicknames because it kind of shows Flea. There was a dude named Flea. Flea Clifton. Flea Clifton. Yep. Dude, I've got <laughs> there's so many great stories behind these names. And Jojo White, Schoolboy, yep. Schoolboy Row. Now Schoolboy Row, is oh, that man. a proper name or is oh. that his nickname? Dude, if we start talking about Schoolboy Row, it's about to be over. The whole show like is about to be Schoolboy Row. So, yeah. do we have a Schoolboy Row episode? No, oh, oh absolutely. Yes, yeah. like you, we need at least one episode to cover Schoolboy Row. He is, okay. he is one of he's one of my favorite players of all time. One of the great. I mean, he was like the one of the great stars this year. Um, but yes, like. It's just in a quick there, nutshell. There was a dude, yeah. oh, Marv. I was like, is there a Mary Owen? No, Mar- that's Marv. Yeah, Marvin. Yeah, Marv Owen. Um, <laughs> well, there was a Fox. I've got a couple other. Yeah, you got Pete, Pete Fox. Fox. We got Because we, we got Matt Fox running things for us. Yeah. Switching the cameras. So, so think about like this. You have you have Goose Gosling <laughs> no in left relation. field and yeah. you have Pete Fox in right. So you have a goose and a fox, right? <laughs> and then, yeah, and I over the, and over the win, in the end of the 19th, you know, this is a little bit ahead of the 1935 year, but they they there was a spark that got that set them off and they both like hated, hated each other in 1935. So you have a goose and a fox that hated each oh, other. Oh, good God. Like, I mean, it's, it's just it's kind of ridiculous. But. All right, so some great names, even better nicknames. Yep. So where, where do we want to go? What do you want to tell me about uh, yeah. these bad news bears? Yeah, so anyways, like I said, so let me just run through a few more nicknames. Just, yeah. So just to kind of you know cast a little bit more. So you got, the, obviously, Schoolboy Row, like we just mentioned. Um, Tommy Bridges, who's like kind of had a longer nickname, the Game Rooster from Tennessee, and this is like stuff that they actually called them, <laughs> the Gamer. Okay? Yeah, there goes Tommy Bridges, the Game Rooster from Tennessee. Yeah, exactly. In the Heading off to first yep. base. Yeah. So you got um, <laughs> so you got uh, Ger- so you got Gerald G. Walker, who they called the Madman from Mississippi. You know, Gerald Mad G. Man Walker from Mississippi. Yep. Ger- yeah, G-, G. Walker was one of the top. You know, I gotta the do best, the, the old guys. I gotta do the old timey boy. Yeah, you, you can because you can you just hear it. those announcers yeah. calling it like that. Sure. I love Sure. It. All right. So, so you got, uh, of course, Hammer and Hank Greenberg, <laughs> uh, Chief Hogsett. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, Alfred Roxy Lawson. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, like I say, what, what, one of the great uh, stories, too, uh, is uh, a guy named General Crowder. Uh, yeah, it's General Alvin, Crowder. His name is Alvin Crowder. They called him General Crowder. Okay, and his story, like, so it kind of his kind of ties onto it. But like I say, the, the, the you know you know evoking the, the concept of the bad news bears was really this 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 you know the way that this you know team was, and it really was a different team from the thirty four. Even though the thirty four team like was this, it was really the same bunch from thirty three, and it was the same bunch that became thirty five as well yeah. for the most part. Um. But there was a huge difference. The 34 team, nobody had, like, I mean, the expectations were zero for the 1934 team. Coming off all these horrible years. They didn't earn their nicknames yet. Exactly. And so then 35, they were, like, basically expected to win. So it was a whole different dynamic. That's what makes the 34 team so so unique or so interesting is that – so so anyways, they come into this year. And and so, again, you have Mickey Cochran that comes in. And then um, you have uh, Goose Goslin that comes in. Those are really only the two major, you know, additions to the team. But underneath the surface, and this was so so kind of interesting, is underneath the surface you have all these you have all these young guys. They'd want these. They'd, uh, the Hank Greenberg and uh, Schoolboy Row were um, were the two leaders of the 1932 Beaumont Exporters, which were a minor league team that won the the top level minor league uh, championship in that in 1932. And they were coached by a guy named Dell Baker. Who Dell Baker became the third base coach of the Tigers in 1934 and 35. So there was like, and then so, but there was many more players like Pete Fox and JoJo White. These guys were all played with the Beaumont Exporters at different points. They all coached under Dell Baker. So there were all these like young, you know, there there was these young guys that were coming up that um they'd all they'd all, you know they demonstrated glimpses of you know greatness at here and there right. and but it was but it was 34 and Mickey Cochran that came in that really just you know pulled all the talent out of mm-hmm. them and it went on to become like literally every player on this team in 1934 and 35 had the best years of their career. Okay. And that's what's so that's what's so fascinating is is it just a coincidence that they all had like literally like that they were all had the best years at the exact same time. You know, and that's what, what was in the water. What yeah, was that's in the what I water. Mean. Like that's yeah. what I mean. It was it was an incredible thing, and um, yeah. So it, uh, um, yeah. So that's what I mean. Like you know, what, yeah. you know, what was and that's what I'm saying. To you, that's why this 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 character in the form of Mickey Cochran is such a central figure. Well, it sounds like together. It was more than just the guys on the field and the players on the roster. It sounds like. You know the ancillary people were were pretty important too. Oh, everyone, yeah. The, the you know the base coaches and sure. um, all the all the other coaches as well. How deep was the a coaching staff and a management staff? So Mickey was the manager. Yeah, player. So manager, was yeah. there a, a so that's. So he had, yeah, so we had we well, had Cypher. So is he like the the head coach? Then is that yeah? He's the head coach. He's okay. the head coach. And really back then, like you know, he was also like the in in, in what's today's terms like a general manager, okay. the one that decides on actual players to sign. Yeah, you know, he's got to work in tandem with the owner, with Frank Navin. Yeah, um, to you know to make those because Frank's you know Uncle Frank's got to end up paying the bill, so he's got to <laughs> you know he's, he's got to know what they're signing. Sure, but um. But like going like after so when when Mickey Cochran went to sign with the Tigers, you know, when he got that trade and he went to go sign his actual deal with the team because they signed it year by year back then. So he went to go sign with the deal. So anyways, so even before he like really signed the deal, he was talking to Connie Mack, who was his manager in Philadelphia. And he's asking Connie Mack, like, you know, what does this team need? And he's Connie's like, well, you got some young pitchers. They're okay. Um, you're, you know, like, you know, he's like, really, you know, but he's like, you know, one of your biggest holes is at third base with Mar, you know, you've got nobody at third base. You literally have nobody. Um, you need an outfielder. Like, there's a bunch of, st- I mean, the team was terrible. You need all over the place, but particularly bad is third base. And particularly bad is like left field. You got nobody in left field. So they signed Goose Gosling to play left field, who was viewed as like an over the hill. Uh, maybe past his prime type type guy. Maybe he had a year left in him. Okay, um, a decent player. And then, but they were net, but they were not able to solve their third base hole going into the season. Like they were like, we we got a hole at third base, and there's not much we can do about it. And um, but but and that's what's so incredible was that like they they have Marv Owen who was who was an MVP of the minor this minor league season um a couple years prior. And uh, and so he like had all this talent and everything, but he just never really put it together. You know what I mean? But with Mickey and Tom, here it is. The magic happens. And, you know, that Mickey, you know, he's like, look, man, we need you at third base. We need you to be able to play defense. We need you to be able to hit, you know, like this. And, you know, the fact that he's able to, you know, to he like has this huge hole at third base. Like, you know, the, Connie Max even tell him, like, you got nobody at third base. It's like one of your biggest problems. And Mickey's like, we're going to make this guy into the, you know, into a, a great player. You know, it was like, it was like this, you know, he was like the magic man. He was able to, whatever he touched, turned to you know to gold in that in these years so lucky lucky for us yeah exactly so 
So yeah, like I said, so you know some of the stories too. Like, um, so you have, uh, so you know, one of the big stories was the, the emergence of Hank Greenberg in 1934. It, yeah. It, it, so a lot of times because he was like top of the charts here. Oh, he's well, yeah, he's a Hall of Fame. He's one of the best players in baseball history. Yeah. But but a lot of times when we see Hank Greenberg, you know, associated with these stories, you know, when you look back and you know history book, you see Hank Greenberg there. A lot of people don't realize that like 19, like going into 1934, like I mean. No, no. Hank Greenberg was not the Hank Greenberg that everybody knows today. And then yeah. 1933 was his first year with the Tigers, and he couldn't even. And he was on the bench for most of the year. the The Tigers in 1933, they had, um, underneath Bucky Harris, they had they had signed uh, um, a, a guy named Harry Davis to play first base. Like they spent like I think it was seventy five thousand dollars to sign this Harry Davis, who's like a great defensive player, but he was really not a great hitter. So they spent a bunch of money to sign this guy, and then Hank Greenberg was coming up through the minor leagues at that moment. So he comes up to Detroit, and he really doesn't have a position because they're not going to pay somebody seventy five grand and put him on the bench. Yeah. You know, they're going to. So Hank sat on the bench, and so he went. And he he he, play, he stayed in game shape by playing baseball like Sandlot baseball in Belle Isle. Yeah, just to stay in game shape because he was never playing. I love that. Yeah, so in, so in thirty three, so he actually went to Uncle Frank. He went went to his office at one point in the year and was like. You know, send me back to the minors. I want to play baseball, and I'm not yeah. getting a chance. And and Frank was just like, you know, hey, you know, just give us a chance. We'll get you some games. That's funny. And, yeah. Because we said how many games they played in a season it was 150, 154. Yeah. 154. And, and 35, he played 152 games. Oh, he was a stu- superstar. He was the MVP <laughs> he, of baseball in 1935. Yeah, he, 35. He, he only had two games he didn't play. Yeah, he was a stud. <laughs> yeah, so – that's what I mean. So, so, but it's so going into, you know, that's what I'm saying. That's what's so interesting is, is a lot of times when we look from the modern day and we look back at 34 and 35, like there's Hank Greenberg. You're like, oh, well, of course the Tigers were sweet. They had Hank Greenberg. He was like one of the best home run hitters and sluggers of all time. Sure. Oh, they had Charlie Gainringer. Oh, they had Schoolboy Roll. They had these different guys. But this was so interesting. But if you look at it actually before the season happens, those guys were not, no, they were not who we look at them now. Right. Like Hank Greenberg, like he had just started to come off the bench at the end of 1933. And started to play well, you know. He, they, you know, they, they you know, he, they looked at him as the starting first baseman in, in 1934. Um, but he couldn't. His defense was horrendous. The mm. guy could not. Like they even say, like I got quotes in the book. He couldn't even ca- catch a pop fly. He could barely catch a pop fly. Yeah, <laughs> I actually wrote it into the screenplay where, where, um, you know, to, to kind of demonstrate how bad he was in 34. Like I actually have Charlie Garinger like swinging out because Charlie Garinger was this elite superstar second baseman. He's like one of the only guys the Tigers had. Be, you know, before Mickey Cochran got there. And so, like, I actually have in the screenplay, Charlie Garinger, like, cut, swinging over and catching the foul ball for, you know, or the pop fly for Hank because he's, like, this six-foot, I think, six-foot uh, three, six-foot five. He's just a huge man and just really ungainly when he first comes up. And so, he, you know, he was, already, he was showing that he could hit, but his defense was absolutely horrendous mm. horrendous like he actually had a bigger mitt to try to catch balls better um like they they he, they, they outlawed his mitt because it was so big it was like because he was trying to you know augment it, it sounds like a cartoon yeah so that's what i mean like it ties in with this bad news bears concept where it was like this you know this you know the like all this the, the guy does he have other, a whole bounce house on his hand yeah what the what the heck yeah, is so, that? but i mean like hangry like i mean that's a character from like a bad news bears like a guy that's like the, a moonshot home run hitter but then can't play defense at right, all you know, right, dropping right. foul balls Dropping all the things left and right, you got. But the reason, and really, the the focal point that I want to drip people's mind yeah, to. You is go out there. You go out there and play rover. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna play. Yeah. <laughs> that was my position. Yeah, rover. Yeah, when I had softball when I was like in grade school. Yeah, yeah, Jamie, you you go out there. You play rover out there. Okay, yeah. I'll be out yeah. there. I'll be over there. The King's kids. Yeah. Oh, playing so, but, in the rain. Never the, won a game. But like King's I said, the, like kids. one of the central Sorry. figures of the of the of the notion of why I even call it <laughs> bad news bears is because if you if if you know the listener out there remembers Tanner from the Bad News Bears, yeah, the yeah. shortstop. I don't know, but he's the kid that always was like the biggest loud mouth, the biggest talker. He's always getting into a fight if somebody crossed the second base, whatever. This big the scrapper and all this. And that was and that that's your shortstop for the Tigers, Billy Rogel, who would end up becoming a city councilman in Detroit for oh. for many years. It was really? like yeah, for like I actually written down here how long was he a Thirty six years a Detroit City Councilman. Wow. The, so the, I mean that was probably through the probably in the forties. Yeah, it was in the forties through like yeah, all the way through like the sixties or seventies. Wow. I mean, and then the, the drive leading up to the airport is actually called William Rogel Drive, uh, named after Billy Rogel. Huh. But he was that but he was that brash uh shortstop at second base that was always talking, always, you know, talking smack. Um there was an incident, I have a quote in the book, there's an incident where 
Um, Mickey Cochran was mad at the because because the keystone that the short base second base combination was Billy Rogel and Charlie Garinger, like one of the greatest second base shortstop tandems in baseball history. And so they and so um, there was an incident where the two of them had gotten crossed up on a on on a play and like made a mistake, made an error or something. And Mickey Cochran was yelling out at at Billy Rogel, going, "What the hell is going on out there?" And Billy Rogel was like. You shut the hell up, Mickey. He was like, if you, he's like, you worried about your own game. You're having enough problems behind the plate. And for anyone, if, from what we talked about last week with, yeah. Mickey, with Mickey Cochran, for anyone to say something like that to Mickey, mm-hmm. like you got, you're taking your life into your own hands. Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying. Like that's that kind of Tanner, you know, from the Bad News Bears concept. Like that's what, like that's this team. They're a bunch of nobodies. Yeah, you know, they're a bunch of nobodies with like you know they'd have talent within them, and it takes this magic man, Mickey Cochran, to bring it out. You know, and that's you know that's this, they're they're across the board. Hank Greenberg was a no was completely unknown before 1934. Comes out in 1934 and is one of the games you know emerging like next Babe Ruth type hitter, you know elite home run hitter. Um, you know, in, in just, you know, in, I mean, it's like out of nowhere, like, you know, imagine, you know, right now, like we're, you know, the Tigers are, you know, a terrible team or whatever. And then out of nowhere, there's like the next great superstar emerges in their very first year. I mean, just that excitement of like, not only are we going to be sweet this year, but we're going to be sweet for a long time. Like we got this new superstar, you know? Right. And so, yeah. So it's what I'm saying. Like, you know, really the only, the, the only real players on the Tigers that were, that were, you know, that were good that, you know, the other teams would have like really, really wanted was Charlie Garinger at, at, at second base, who is like, like literally, I mean, he's probably the best second baseman of the 1930s and one of the best of all time. I and mean, he was an elite superstar. He was a legitimate superstar. And then um, probably Tommy Bridges, who was like, I think he was 27 years old in 1934. Um, and he'd pitched for a few years and he was solid, but he had never really been spectacular. Mm-hmm. And so anyways... Yeah, so that's like so that's what I'm saying like you have a couple of decent players in um so know, in one year they're just all they're world beaters. 1934 they they made it to the World Series. They won the pennant. They made it to the World Series, but they didn't win. 1935 they went all the way and they yeah. they, they won. They were able to they were able to they were able to finish it up. Which was the better team? Well, that's what I mean. It's really the same group of guys. That's yeah. what's interesting, and that's what that's one of the interesting dynamics of this thing is, is that the thirty four Tigers. They it was you know they the fact that they came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? It was such a miracle concept. It was such a miracle that these the, the excitement of the fans was like, you know, there was the mentality of how far, how long is this going to last for? Are they just playing good for the first month of the year? Are they just playing good for the second? That's a long season, one hundred and fifty-four uh, games. Exactly. That's, a, that's a that's a that's a long road. To, to, well, that's to why baseball toe. needs to be that long because 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 like the the, the story the, the the old sort of phrase goes like every team wins you know every team wins uh, what is one hundred sixty games so like every team wins like sixty games and every team loses like sixty games and something mm-hmm. like that so it's like really the forty games in the middle that are are you know that you. That are up in the air, so and that's just, that's the concept. So, and that's what I mean. Like you know, there's the baseball history is littered with teams that were great for the first month of the year, great mm-hmm. for even the first two three months of the year, and mm-hmm. then folded at the end. So that's what I mean. Like so, in '34, all the fans are are like, um, how long is this run going to last for? You know, they're experiencing this the joy of this team coming out of nowhere and just you know this you know like colorful nicknames, you know, dominating personalities. Um, you know, again, this bad news bears type of a, of a feeling to this team where they're, you know, just total upstarts, you know, they shouldn't be where they're at. And then how long is this going to last for? And then it's, so it's like, you know, as the weeks turn into months and the months turn into the entire summer and then the fall, and then, you know, they're going into the, into the pennant race, you know, going head to head with the Yankees and beating them, you know, and winning and staying ahead of the Yankees. I mean, that's what, you know, it's like, you can't ever truly believe until it's really coming down to the, the last couple of weeks. They're like, we're still in it. You know, this is a yeah. legitimately good team. And so that's what I mean. So like once they got to the World Series and they were actually up in the World Series until they did the last game, um, uh, when, you know, once they were up and then they, you know, they, then they ended up losing. So now they're, so now, you know, going into 35, it's a totally different mentality. Because now they're they're you know there's actually expectations on them. Uh, they're know? the team to beat, not exactly. this Cinderella yeah. story. Yeah. Exactly, that's what I mean. So it's, it's like a Cinderella story. It's yeah, a, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> well, so I mean, so it's like a totally yeah. different. It's a totally different dynamic. You go in, like I say, the first it's like a total unknowns, and then it becomes an expectation. And then in the first half of '35, the team like basically lays an egg. The first part of the year, 1935, they were not good. Yeah, I mean, fires yeah. out. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that led questions like, oh my God, that 34 was just a fluke year right. or whatever. But then they came back and, you know, they, 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 made a comeback and romped their way all the way to the World Series. It's really – they struggled at the beginning of the year in 35 because really of the loss of Icehouse Wilson. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, no. no, I don't, no I'm no, looking at the list. He played – no, he played one game. Oh, I didn't I – didn't, he's played so little. I didn't even – I don't even know anything about him. I yeah, yeah. you're joking. <laughs> no, seriously. I never – So Cy Perkins and Icehouse Wilson each, it says they played one game in, in 34. Yeah, that's um, – uh, no. Those aren't on your radar? That's not even on – those aren't even on – and I even right, have right. guys that are role players in the books. That's – I don't know. You might want yeah. to check the source of that article because I didn't yeah, see yeah. anything about that. There's a couple Detroit of random little guys here and there maybe I missed out on, but yeah. I, that's – I didn't – I don't remember – doing much about that uh what about who else did uh so chief didn't make it to chief played in 34 but not 35 right uh he no he played in 35 oh, okay yep. what about red phillips uh he was sort of a bit sort of a, like i didn't really touch you know, on him just, too a much. Handful, just a handful of games seven games yeah but like. so but some of the guys so like um you know one of the stories i do want to like really want i actually have my list to make sure to talk about yeah, is this yeah. idea like i say all these you know all these players like marvel and uh, you know all of a sudden they don't need a third baseman he, like marvel and turns out to be like literally the best third baseman in baseball in 1934 oh, so it's okay. like hey. these players come out of nowhere and so it's just like across the board like schoolboy row they call him. He, he's the closest thing to the definition to the word. If everybody's ever seen the movie The Natural, you know the the idea of the natural player that's just like born for just you know sports dominance, sports superiority. That was Schoolboy Row. Like no matter what he did, hit pitched, he won numerous. Like I mean, he was like every sport he participated in high school. His team won national championships or like not national but state championships. Yeah. Like you know he he won he won a golf tournament. He won a state championship in golf on the same day as he won four. Like four events in a in a state track meet championship. Like, and this was who? This is Schoolboy Row. Oh, okay. so, I mean, like a yeah. natural in every Just, single yeah, capacity. Yeah. Bono's Schoolboy yeah. Row. <laughs> That's he was the original. Yeah, he was the original. Could play every sport. Could hit. It was he was just as good of a hitter. In fact, he was so good at hitting. Like the metrics I use, you know, for looking at baseball players, it's different than the saber metrics. You know, we, this is a whole another show, but. Um, but anyways, the the metrics we have, like Schoolboy Row, he was such a good hitter. That the way that like, the way at least the way I evaluate talent when you look at um it ba- is based on the production of runs rather than just batting average and stuff like this. But when you look at Schoolboy Rowe, he was so good as a hitter that I like like a lot of people are like oh who is the best hitting pitcher of all time? Schoolboy Rowe is not one not only uh, one of the best school- hitting pitchers of all time, but he was also just one of the best hitters in general of yeah. all time. Like he was a, just an incredible incredible hitter. And so that's him, but going in 34 again, nobody really knew who he was. Right, right. He'd been injured a little bit in 33. In 34, he comes out and he's just like a household name, like nationally, one of the biggest stars in the country in 1934. And they used him a lot. I mean, you know, looking at their pitchers, I mean, Schoolboy played 51 games in 34. And then Tommy Bridges, right? He was another pitcher. Yes. Yeah. Tommy Bridges and he only played 36. Yeah. Right. That's a jump from 36 to yeah. 51. I mean, that's uh well, here's the thing is that hidden in that 51 is the fact that whenever you, if you, that's what I'm saying, like Tommy Bridges was primarily a pitcher. Schoolboy Rowe was used as a hitter. Yeah. So they actually like, even when he wasn't pitching, they would bring him in to play games as a hitter. That's how good he was. Okay. Yeah, like they, like he would come in and he was like one, he was there. Yeah, yeah. Like a, yeah, he was a three thirty nine. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a no. His his offense, like you can look at all the different numbers, but his, but I mean, he was like he would. Schoolboy Roll was one of the best. Just to give you an example, how good of a hitter he was. Okay, yeah. just I want to just. I mean, there's a million different examples. But I'll give you this idea. So in 1934, one of the biggest stories in in all of sports in 1934 um, was Schoolboy Roll chasing the all time wins record in because he'd won he'd won 15 games in a row. 15 games. The record was 16. Ah. And so going into his 16th game against Washington, ah. it was so he's it's, it's like national coverage of whether Schoolboy Rowe can win. He just came out of nowhere. This is his first really full season. He'd been yeah. injured a little bit in 33. So he comes in. So in 34, he's just this wonderkind, this natural, this amazing thing. And then he's got, we talked, we mentioned it last week about the courtship with Edna Skinner, where he was like national personality, like romance, because he said it on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but, anyways, so he's chasing his 16th win. And it's like every the every single national all coverage, all eyes on Schoolboy Row. So it goes into so so um it goes into the um so so Hank so I forgot what inning I think it was seventh or eighth inning. Hank Green the score was uh, one to two. The Tigers were down a run. Hank Greenberg hits a solo home run to tie the game at two ah! two. Going into the ninth inning, ah! 
And so goes into the ninth inning, and um, there's a man on first and third, and who comes up to the plate? Schoolboy Row in yeah. the ninth inning, okay? <laughs> and he hits a single to drive in a guy from third yeah. and wins the game with his own bat. Ah. Wins the biggest game, like national attention on him. Oh my pitches God. a complete game, pitches every inning of the game, and then, and then he drives in the winning run with his own bat. Can you imagine? I mean, that's like... I mean, that's how good he was. I'd like, say he that's goes, a carry him out on your shoulders game. There you, you go. Know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he ties the all-time win record. You get 16 in a row, and it's like, you know, and he does it with his own bat. Like, that's, that's how good. I mean, that, that that's a story. That's why it's just like, that's why it's sad. And, you know, baseball's trying to get rid of the, you know, their, the designated hitter, I, I just still believe, is one of the worst things that ever happened to baseball. Because, yeah. like I say, pitchers, you know, the develop, you know, p- developing pitchers as a, as a hitter, you know, it, it was just, you know, the, the, especially there's so many stories of – games that just took on whole new levels because the pitchers were not only the best, you know, they were responsible for preventing the other team from getting runs. And they're also, you know, hitting the, you know, using their bat to win games too. They're like the biggest star on the field, you know, especially when you got two pitchers going at it like that, you know, so. Or you're going to, you'd say, well, you know, a pitcher doesn't do it on his own. Schoolboy Road did in he that game. He often did. Yeah. <laughs> he did in that game. But who are some of the other people that helped uh, support him? Who are some of the other, you know, people that you want to talk about? Well, the, one, the, the other guy career. I wanted to talk about, I really was trying to, I wanted to get to is, yeah. uh, is, is, is General Crowder. He's one of my General favorite. Crowder. He's one of my favorite stories. One of the, these, these type of guys. And I think he really helps to illustrate this concept of like, you know, this, just the magic that was in the air for this team was that, so General Crowder. Is he related to Boyd Crowder? No, he was no. He's uh, he's his name was Alvin Crowder, and they named, they named him uh, General Crowder after a uh, it was a World War One um, like military like one of the top people in the military. All right, his name was like he was like literally his name was General Crowder, and so they you know it was the fact that he was a pitcher and his last name was Crowder, they just started calling him uh, General Crowder. So, so, so he was only thirty four to thirty six with the Tigers. It, well, yeah, yeah it was it, barely in thirty six. His wife yeah. was sick, and he, his really his last hurrah was thirty five. And the thirty five right. World Series was I call it the General's finest hour was in the nineteen thirty five World Series. Huh. But uh, but anyways, in thirty four, the the situation was General Crowder in the in the um in the early thirties was was just one of the best pitchers in baseball. I mean, oh. he like he like he was just one of the best pitchers in baseball, and. But by 19, but he pitched an ungodly number of innings. If you look at how many innings pitched he had in the early 30s with Washington, yeah, you got it in your computer. Um, I mean, it's like three. I take a look real quick, just so you, we can get an exact number. Like, look at like 1930 between 1930 and 1933. Look at like 1929 through 32. Yeah, I'm 33. trying to see. I, I think there was one that was like 412 <laughs> innings. Which I is don't like, know what these. Oh, IP. So there you IP, go. Yeah. Innings pitch. Yep. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Look, look for one. There's like 410 uh, or something like this. It was just some yeah. ungodly number. So starting innings. in 1930, it's 202, uh, 234. 327. There you go. Yep. Keep in going. Ni- yeah, 1932 is 327. Well, That's where it tops out. Look a little bit before out. that. Look in 1929, 28. I thought there was a 400 uh, inning. No. Wasn't it? So 244 and 28, 266. Yeah, I mean, those are still pretty high counts. And, I thought there was yep. like a 400. And then uh, 241 in 1935. But here's the thing. is like in modern-day baseball, if a pitcher pitches 200 innings, that's yeah. considered a workhorse. Yeah. Okay? So he's like 327. Three, that's what I'm saying. 327, <laughs> 327 innings. Rode like, him hard, put him oh, away wet. That's what I mean. So he was. A, this is a guy that pitched a lot of innings. And so the, <laughs> so the general mentality was, in, at the, in 1933, he had a – or at 30 – really – I'm sorry, 34 – he had just an absolutely dreadful beginning of the year mm-hmm. um, with Washington. It was just absolutely terrible. And everybody was looking at him as though um, that he was basically washed up, that he'd thrown so many innings that they basically ruined him. And his, yeah. his arm was gone. He just Ugh. wasn't effective anymore. And so he, and so the senators, Washington, puts him on waivers. So basically that means – what that means when somebody, a player gets put on waivers is that every other team in the league gets a chance to claim him. And so it's, it's, so they all get a chance to claim the player. But it goes in this in reverse order, so like of, of as far as the like the wins and losses. So the worst team in baseball gets the first shot at picking him up off the from the Washington. Okay, and so then and then it goes and then it goes up the list, like all the way up to the first place team gets the last choice. The last but in thirty four, they're basing it off at thirty three, right? Well, no, thirty four. Well, it's in, it's actually in thirty four. This is like oh, midway so of the, the year. Current, so it's in whatever the middle the of the current year. standing is. Yes, yeah, oh, yeah. So okay. it's in the here's the thing. We're in the middle of the season. The Tigers are right. The Tigers are in first place. Everything's oh, okay. going great. And so, but you know, but they could use an extra pitcher. They could yeah. use an extra arm. You know, they got Schoolboy Row, um, Eld Knocker, and Tommy Bridges are going great. You know, a few, a few other guys too. But they could also, but they need another guy. They need another arm. You know, they need another arm to bring in. They need another pitcher. 
And so there, and so you know, there's always players getting put on the waiver wires. There's always players that are getting, you know, that are potentially could uh, potentially grab. Anyways, um, so so the idea was that El Knocker went. They put him on waivers. Every single team in baseball passed on him, including the Tigers. Wow. They passed on him too. Huh. Every team passed on him. And so then the Washington put him on waivers again for the second time. And once again, every team in baseball passed on him. This huh. time though, the Tigers, who are in first place, who actually have the last choice to pick him up. They signed him. They wow. were the second time on waivers. He was the la- they were the last team. And if they would have got, they would have passed on him. He would have been basically done. Yeah. You know, his, his career is like basically over. Nobody's going to pick him up there. Uh, yeah. And so, anyways, the Tigers sign him. Yeah. And they come in. In his first game with the Tigers, he gets completely blown out, just totally ah. shelled, right? And which leads to the idea, like, why do we bring this guy in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, so then Mickey. So that. So anyways, um. Uh, he so that so Mickey Cochran's like we get we you know they need they just at this point they just you know for the next his next turn up in the rotation his next you know it's come up again in in this case the Tigers are playing the Yankees in the doubleheader and the Yankees were the team that was like nipping at their heels all year they're you know they're, that's their main competition and so anyway so Mickey Cochran just you know he just basically needs an arm in there like he like they just he they just need they need it's gonna him. be a long day fellas they need let's him. do something yes they need them and so yeah. they and so they and they just need somebody and so anyways. Uh, so anyway, so he, so so General Crowder goes in right to go play, play, play pitch against the Yankees, and they light him up Damn for five Yankees. runs, oh. for five runs in the first three innings of the game. They light him up right, and then oh, basically no. Mickey comes up to him and tells him he's like, you know, he, they, there's like this moment where he's like, you know, you know, General, he's like, look, Jen, he called him Jen. He's like, look, listen, look, Jen, you're trying to like strike everybody out. You're trying to like prove to yourself that your arm's still good and all these things. Dude, we just need outs, man. We just need outs. Just use whatever spitball, you know, like not spitball, just like whatever trash you can throw across the plate. You know, pitch into your spot using your, you know, it's not about how fast you can throw. It's not about how, you know, whether you can strike these guys out or show how good you used to be or whatever like this. We just need you to get some outs for us. That's it. We're going to score some runs for you, right? So we just need you to just get some outs, like whatever it takes, by hook or by crook, we need some outs. You're a veteran. You know what you're doing. Let's get some outs. So, anyways, so and 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 Mickey was catching right. He so he, he comes. So he's coming up, going, yeah. dude, what are you throwing at me? Yeah, look, he, so, that's what he said. He's like, he goes, so I mean, he's got the perfect view of what's exactly. going on. Exactly, and that's when we talked about last week the yeah. philosophy, the psychology, of Mickey Cochran, where it's like with El Knocker, he was like always trying to wind him up to get him mad because he, he saw that he pitched better when he was mad. And with Schoolboy, he treated him like this, like, oh, it's okay, school. We'll get it next time. He gets shelled. And he's like, it's okay. We'll get it next time, yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for General Crowder, he just came up to him and he just said, you know, he basically saw what was wrong with him and says, pitch into your spots, locating the ball, keeping the hitters off balance. That's your game. You're, you're, it looks like you're trying to strike everybody out and, like, you know, prove something to everybody. Just just get some outs. It doesn't even matter how, really how many runs you give up. Because we're going to score. We have the best offense in baseball. We're going <laughs> to score for you. And so, anyways, the long so that so anyways, the Tigers. So uh, the Tigers come back and he he holds on and, yeah. he, and he wins that game nice. nine to five. Nice. He pitches. He doesn't pitch a complete game, but he gets to I think it was eight and a third inning. So he got pulled at the very very end. But he but he but he holds on. The Tigers come back with nine runs, and from that point on. He won the next five straight games. Nice. And the, and the pitcher he beat that day was Lefty Gomez, who was the best pitcher in baseball in in the American League at that time. Yeah. Um, and he only lost five games all season. Uh. And two of those losses were to General Crowder. Nice. And Crowder ended up starting the first game of the World Series as well. Oh. So you see what I'm talking about, like the yeah, magic yeah. of this year. Like yeah. you take this guy who was like on his way out, last chance, no hope. Even right. the first game with the Tigers, he gets blown out, and then here he is. So he was at that point. He was thirty-five years old. He was born in eighteen ninety-nine. So mm-hmm. he was thirty-five years old, and thirty-five back in nineteen thirty-four. Yeah. Those are that's that's like that was like ninety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he was like threw he threw right, but batted left. He says he's one hundred and seventy pounds, five five feet eight inches. So. Yeah. No, but that's what I mean. Like he, like that's, but that's. I just love that story with General Crowder because oh. I mean, like, how could you? I mean, what other? Like that story alone is like a baseball movie. Yeah. You know, this pitcher that's on his last chance. No, you know what I mean. Like, there's like, I mean, he, not only is he, on his, it's not like he just came to the Tigers in his first game. He just, you know, oh my God, he just turned it on. Mm. He he got lit up in the first game <laughs> with the Tigers, and then he got lit up halfway through his second game. Yeah. But he somehow found a way to just hang in there. Mickey was like, "Look, man, we're gonna score some runs for you. Just set, you know, just." We just need some outs. Just do do pitch your game. Stop trying to strike everybody out and do all this stuff. And the, you know, the, you just see right there at that interconnection with like that Mickey Cochran moment 
where he just, you know, that psychology where he's like, look, Jen, settle down, man. Just pitch. We're, we got it, you know. And so I think that there is, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons that I tie into the, the you know, wider baseball philosophy about the, you know, the production of runs, how essential it is for every team. Why it's the number one thing that a team needs because when you have a, when you have a pitcher that knows that his team is just going to pound in the ball, like he can, he can give up five runs and his team's going to score nine. Like it allows him to still relax and not have to worry about, um, you know, it's winning the game with his, by himself, you right. know, that he can just settle in and then just, you know, he can gamble a little bit. He can, you know, do whatever he needs to do and he's going to win. So he had 15 consecutive wins in 1932 with Washington. Yeah. That's what I mean. He was, he was so, a great pitcher. He yeah. was really one of the, and he's an, and he's an overlooked name. A lot of times people, yeah. you know, it's just one of those names. He's um, not in the hall of fame. No, not, no, no, he is not. No, but that's what I mean. Like Never that's really. one of these names that, you know, needs to be in the like sort of like Detroit Tiger fan history hall of fame. Because, sure. Because he was, you know, he was, he, you know, he was even better, you know, he was even better in 1935. He was tremendous in 35. But like I say, the 34 was so just key because, again, right after, as soon as he settled in on that one inning and, you know, the Tigers won that game nine to five, he went on to win five more games. And he was like, it was five more straight games. And then he started the first game of the World Series. Yeah. Can you, I mean, uh, what a great, what an incredible turnout. He's pitching against Dizzy Dean. Who Dizzy Dean in 1934 won the most outstanding athlete of the year award for like the national award, the same award that Joe Lewis would win in 1935. Dizzy Dean won that in 1934, which is like kind of like the MVP of all sports. Right. And Dizzy Dean won that. And here's Crowder, you know, has been retread, bad news bear type of a figure facing off against Dizzy Dean in game one of the World Series. So that's what I mean. It's just, uh, you know, that, that's just one of my, you know, one of my favorite stories from, yeah. from that, from 34. Who else? Who else is a, a lesser known standout there from the bad news bears? Uh, per- of here's a great, here's a great one. G Walker, G Walker, the all stars. Well, G Walker Sorry. was one of the, one of the most, um, in his as, day. As like Matt, was- Matt, that's like G love and special sauce, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. Well, G Walker. G Walker was uh, my Joe baby had sauce. G Walker was Joe Lewis's favorite player. Oh, okay. Lewis, yes, he was Joe Lewis's favorite player, and he was many fans of that era's favorite player. Um, he was again his nickname. We mentioned him in the second, earlier, the Madman from Mississippi. Madman from Mississippi. Yes. Right. And so anyway, G, so G. So, right. so G Walker. This is one of the again. This is another. These are all characters. So G Walker. This the concept of G Walker is is he is a tremendous player. Okay. He's a tremendous player. He can do things on defense that nobody's ever seen. He can run the bases in a way that nobody's ever seen. He can steal bases, run the bases. He can hit like nobody's ever seen. Right. He can drive in runs like you know in certain key moments. He can do this like he can you know he comes up with the most incredibly important hit of the game and all this different stuff. Right. But there was a catch. There was a huge catch. Is that not only could he do all these things that I mentioned and you know like the incredible the he can he was the incredible. He was just as likely to do the worst things <laughs> that anybody had ever seen. And I'll give you like an example. He would get, he could get on for he would drive in a run yeah. and he'd get on first base and he would he himself would like he would drive in like the game tying run for instance. Yeah. And one set and the fans are just going crazy. Gee, just drove in a run to tie the game. Now he's on first and he is the you know the winning run. And so the next guy is coming up to the plate, right? Yeah. And he's getting there and something catches him, like distracts him, and he gets picked off. <laughs> Right there, Get inning over. Right, he's like, "Ooh, look yeah. at the pigeons!" One time, he got thrown out on an, uh, on an during an intentional walk. Like you know, they're, they're 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 trying to get you know intentionally walking a batter, and he takes off for second and gets thrown out. You know, they're like, "What are you doing?" And so it was like, I mean, it was numerous. I'm talking about like literally numerous examples of him. Like literally one second, he is the 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 biggest hero, and the next second. He's the biggest goat, like the worst, you know, like the, just everybody's booing him and like, what are you doing, you idiot? Ooh, <laughs> like, piece of candy. Like it was just, there's never been a, I can't, I've never seen in my history, story, all the stuff I've ever read about baseball history, I've never seen a player that would, that could rise to such incredible heights one <laughs> second and the next second be at the incredible depths. Uh, and there's another, there's a real quick, great story that involves Mickey Cochran. Which is that um, Mickey believed that players, you know, he gave all his players the, they call it the green light, which means you can they can they can be as aggressive as they want in the base pass. You can steal whenever you want, you can do whatever you th- you whatever you can, but just you know, be smart about it, be aggressive, whatever. Well, G. Walker took it way too far. So he was always getting picked off, as I mentioned. And what this one game, he was G. like, "How was, about you stick to the base, G?" Yeah. So it was like four <laughs> games in a row where G. Walker got picked off first base or did something stupid and got thrown out. And co- yeah. one game, at one time, it cost the Tigers a win. Uh. And Mickey was furious. And so he has his team meeting and he says, 
every play, the next time, every time somebody gets picked off first base from now on, it's a fifty dollar fine. Mm. Fifty dollar fine. And wouldn't that's you know the middle it, of the depression too. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. So wouldn't you know a, it? A game or two later, uh, guess who's on first base? Picking his nose, getting picked off. No, you're not going to have Mickey oh, Cochran is oh, on first base. He Ooh, got picked off. <laughs> yeah. ah. He gets picked off, and he comes back. They said, they all said, they said, the, the players, this is coming out of Eldon Ocker's book called uh, uh, Sleeper Cars and Flannel Uniforms. And he says that Mickey coming towards the bench after he'd just been picked off, like either the next day or just, you know, the two days after this, this fine. La, 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 he comes la, la. back, like, <laughs> he comes back and he's just, Mickey is furious because he knows what's coming, you know? <laughs> and so he comes back to the bench and they're all sitting there all quiet, like looking at each other because they don't, you know, they're all, and he said, finally, we couldn't hold it in anymore. And he, they'd all just started laughing their face <laughs> off. And then, they, you know, then Mickey pull out 50 bucks, like, you sons of bitches, give her 50 bucks, put it to whatever you want to do, give it, you know? And so yeah, so anyway, so that's that. yeah, so like I say, G Walker, um, you know, he he, oh. he this is a guy that uh um yeah, like this is what I mean. Like you have this guy that highs, be, highs, like, low, lows, super highs and super lows. And yeah. so um yeah, like you say that like that's the these are the type of characters that you're dealing with in this, you know, in this in this game. And they all blend into this, you know, into this story, you know, they all blend in. Who else? Who else? We got time for uh, like a couple more guys. Is anybody else you wanted to you got uh, you got a whole you got a whole crib. Yeah, sheet. I mean, it's look like, at it's, you it's with your notes. Pick. So I'll, I'll pick. I'll I'll, I'll uh, focus on Flea Clifton. I'll, I'll, uh, Flea, Flea, yeah. What's what's Flea. is that? Was that his yeah. real name? Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. It was um. I think it was Herman. God, I forgot. I had to call him Flea Clifton so much. I almost forgot right. his name. I got his. I'll name see if book. I can find it. Yeah, find it. Yeah. So, anyways, so Flea Clifton was like he was like out of he was came out of Cincinnati. He was like this like he grew up in the shadow of uh, of the of the Cincinnati Reds ballpark and um. And, and he, he was like this scrapper. He was like this little kid that like, uh, like I don't know if I don't think he was an orphan, but he was something along those lines. He was just kind of like he was like a he just like he was kind of grew up on the streets, I guess. You right, right, say. yeah. He he since he well. grew up, he grew up, and then he went back in Cincinnati. He was born and died in in, in Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, Herman, you're right. Good call. Herman, okay, good on good. the Herman. My, you could, yeah, good call. Herman Earl Clifton today. Herman <laughs> Earl Clifton. We like to call him yeah. the Flea. So the Flea. So four he, years in major baseball. Yeah, it's uh, from 35 to 37, all with the Tigers. Was it? 30, he wasn't. He wasn't 34. He's not listening. 30, yeah, I said 34. Okay, to Okay, good. Yeah, because I was gonna say, my God, my this story is about to be shot. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, so so anyway, so Flea was known. As, Flea was a scrapper. He was little. He was like small guy, hence the name Flea. Okay, but he was, but he was, this, you know, he's a total scrapper. One of those little, like little small guys that you just don't want to mess with because it'll, you know, knock some, you know, like a David and Goliath, you know, complex, like a Napoleon type complex. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, he was in the minor leagues. And he was playing with Hank Greenberg. I believe this is uh, when they were. I believe it was when they're in uh, Asheville or something. Anyways, they were, so anyways they um, so he's playing. He's on the same team as Hank Greenberg. And at one point, there's some kind of a argument happens between the two of them. And Flea Clifton, you know, Kank's six five or whatever, six four, six five. He's just a giant of a man. Yeah. And anyways, and Flea, I don't know what his size is. Maybe it's got there like five. He eight says five eight. Yeah, yeah one hundred and sixty pounds. Yeah, he's well, you know, small. So anyways, Flea picks up a bat and goes after <laughs> Hank Greenberg with a bat. Okay, and so yeah, so he goes after him with a bat, like and then it. he said, and after, and then Hank Greenberg basically like laughed, at him and, like, <laughs> and he was, and then he said, after that moment, the two of them became incredible friends. Oh, and so fast forward into, um, look at you bringing yeah. a bat to an ass kicking. Yeah, so anyway, so fast forward a little bit, and there's a there's an incident at a game, um, in uh, I believe it was it was Cleveland, it was Cleveland. So uh, there's an incident at this game in Cleveland where Hank Greenberg slides into third and he spikes the third baseman at third or the third baseman, and so the all the Cleveland Indian fans are just furious. You know they want to they're like hey you know they're all throwing stuff at Hank Greenberg and stuff. They're, you know it's just they're just all mad at him right. They're all swearing at him and stuff. And so anyways, so Flea Clifton runs onto the field and is like walking side by side with Hank as he comes off the field. And he's like walking. He's like. Walking with them, and Hank is like, so you got this, you know. He's like, he's his like bodyguard. He's like, don't he go? He tells Hank, he goes, don't worry, Hank, I got you. And he's like walking Flea. with Hank off the field. And Hank's looking. I'm like, dude, I'm a. It's like you have this appearance of a five eight little fella, you know, as a as like the you know the bodyguard for a guy that's six five and it's just monster of a man, Hank Greenberg. Hank said, there's a quote in the book that I got with him, and he says, Hank's like, wouldn't you know? He goes, you know, I I fully believe that if he goes, he was so he was serious. Like he goes. 
He goes, if, if anybody had actually tried to do anything to me on that moment, he goes, Flea would have just torn their ears off. Like he was that, he was, he was like, he goes, and then, you know, they, they were just best friends. They were Hank like was 6'2". Oh, 6'2". Okay. Good, that's, yeah. that's a big, 6'2", yeah. 210 yeah. pounds. That's a yeah. big dude for 1935. Yeah. Yeah. And Schoolboy Row was, I think, 6'4". He was like, he was, <laughs> Schoolboy Row was a couple, even a couple inches taller than Hank. I got a picture of the books where I the two Flea. of them are standing back to back and yeah. like Schoolboy's actually taller than Hank. You're like, geez. But anyways, it was just great because, like I say, Flea – and then the, one of the interesting components of that relationship, that that, that friendship, was that um, in the 1935 World Series, uh, Hank would, Hank broke his wrist in the second game of the World Series in 1935. Mm. So the Tigers didn't even have their MVP, American League MVP, their best player in the World Series with them. And so when they needed a replacement, they were, they were trying to figure out who their replacement should be. And Flea was like – they call it a utility player who played like basically every position and they, he only came in when they needed just a temporary you know, fielder for a game or here and there. And, and so anyways, um, and so in that, in that moment, this is one of the only times I've ever seen that the owner of a team stepped in because there was so much – everybody was trying to figure out who should play where because Hank Greenberg's gone. How they're going to place Hank Greenberg? And there was like all these different suggestions. And Frank Navin comes in and says – Flea's going in. Flea is going into the game. They're all like, Flea can't hit at all. He's got he's, heart. He's got yeah, heart. Yeah, basically, like replacement yeah. players. He's got heart. Yeah, we need so, heart. Yeah, so I speculate. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the book actually trying to explore the method behind the, you know that decision. Yeah. Um, for the Frank name, like what would motivate him to do it? I basically come up with the idea that it was defense. That it was like they that you know that they they'd rather like shore up their defense at that moment than you know than you know their offense was great already. So. Um, so anyways, they, you know, so Frank Navin ordered basically Flea Clifton into the game. And so he was like, he's going to be our guy for the rest of the series. So, so anyways, so Marv Owen went to first base and Flea Clifton went to third. So it mm-hmm. was like, so Flea, so basically Flea, you know, it's just kind of, I just think it's kind of a cool touch to that story, that friendship with Hank Greenberg, that he is the one that kind of replaced yeah. Hank Greenberg in the, you know, in the world series, um, you know, to end it in that. So. Um, but yeah, so Flea, Flea, like, you know, he's just one of those guys, like, you know, he's, um, I've got some great pictures and stuff with him in the books too. He was a, you know, another player. So, yeah. Yep. So yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could, like I say, go on and on, man. I mean, it's. How long have we been rolling, Matt? Uh, you guys are sitting at about, well, our, your listeners have been, uh, graciously listening to you for the last 46 minutes. Cool. So. One more story. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. 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 One more story. Ah, just. Heine dude, Shubel. we got. We got. We can go as long as we want. The internet is long. Oh and, yeah, you're right. Like, the internet is long and deep, man. Yeah, I haven't here. found the bottom of the internet going. yet. We got so. more beers in the fridge. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, no, but what I want? Yeah, one more. What do we got? Okay, Heine Schubel. One, two, all right. All right. Okay, Heine Schubel. All right. So Heine, Heine Schubel. Schubel. Yeah, look that's him up. A, look, that's at his, a, look at his stats. I'll that's pause. a tough childhood. That's unfortunate. Take a look at his stats and tell me what you see. Heine Schubel. Oh, there he is. Heine Schubel. That is a that is a rough childhood right there. But look and see if you can find any kind of stats or numbers on the guy. Um, all right. I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. Batting average is around two fifty. Like how many games did he play? And uh, games like eleven, eleven. Exactly. He was like never thirty three. Played forty nine. Yeah, but what about thirty four and thirty five? Like a ten, eleven games each year. Yeah, yeah. nothing. He was yeah. never. He like never played. Heine Schubel. Yeah. Right. So, so he never played. That's like kind of the component of this guy's story. So Heine Schubel, they, he was a guy, this is a guy that the Tigers had, like early on, I think it was 31 or 32 was when the Tigers uh, signed him. Mm-hmm. And when they first got him, they thought he was the next big thing. Well, okay. okay. They signed him for, and I think it's, I think it was $40,000 that they, they signed him for. Or maybe, I think it was 35000 I think I'm 99% sure it was 35000 Okay. So anyways, so which is, a, you know, it's a sizable investment. So anyways, so Heine comes in and he's just terrible. He's just not really, he's just really not that great. I mean, he's yeah. not, I don't, I wouldn't say he was a horrible player, but I don't think he just, he just wasn't like, right. you know, he wasn't, the, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a starter and they just, you know, he was just a bench guy. So they basically kind of carried him for a few years because they're seeing, you know, they're holding out hope that maybe he can turn it around and yeah. be this guy that they thought when they signed him. Yeah. But what they found along the way was something that is arguably just as important. And it made Heine Schubel incredibly valuable. All right. Heine is one of the greatest bench jockeys uh. of all time. Heine Schubel is one of the greatest bench jockeys. And what that is, if you ever watch in a movie, like a, especially an old baseball movie, you hear somebody from the dugout just going, Hey, you suck. You know, like somebody that's, uh, you know, these players in the dugout that are harassing other players. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're harassing fans. They're just talking all kinds of shit to these people. Yeah. Like they're just, it's a bench jockey, somebody that rides other, other players, rides, you know, they're the, they're the, you know, they're, they're, they're quick witted, they're mm. loud mouthed. 
They got a they, they have like a big in Heine Schubel's case. He has this big toothy grin when he's like smiling at people. Uh, um, you know, he's just he's just a, he's just an obnoxious jerk, really. <laughs> like that to other fans and players, which is like you want one of those. Every team's got to have a bench jockey. Sure, you got to have one guy who's a freaking big mouth and who's like you know that's like Heine Schubel went after Babe Ruth. Oh, Heine Schubel like you know, um he goes after he's going after fans. There's like all these articles in there. Where he's going after fans, and I got this great photo in the book. That um that what it is is uh Schuler, like never got his picture in the paper. He's always the guy they call him the the best water cooler player because because they, you know they're trying to they couldn't get quotes from Hank Green. You know usually a, a, a player when you interview him, especially nowadays, listen to whatever interviews a player gives. They For go, sure. "What do you think about today's game?" And they're like, "We did our best. We, did, we yeah. tried our best. Oh my God. We do our best to win." You know, like yeah. it's all canned answers a lot yeah, of yeah. times. It's uh, what the, what's that baseball movie? They they, they practice at Costner. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, they yeah. Practice the field, that on the, the bus. Yeah, we got to uh, practice yeah, our Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Yeah, Bull Durham. Yeah, yeah, we got to practice. Yeah, we got to practice our cliches. That's a great scene. I do that with my my journalism kids. I'm like, yeah. I show that to them. There's a couple of f bombs. Yeah, we we showed a lot of. We got to practice our. We gave it our best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. We so, doing it for the team. Yeah, yeah so yeah. those are the type of guys that, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. you know that's what everybody but says. Heine, but Heine was the guy you went to if you wanted the real score, the real story. They called him the water cooler guy. Yeah. Because you find Heine Schuler by the water, you're like, hey, Heine, what you got for He's like, oh, I got all kinds of stuff to tell you. You know, like, he's going to tell you whatever you want to hear. And His so, laces were untied the whole yeah. grain. Ah. And so there's a great, but I have a great photo in the book because Heine, like, Every single day, it's like Tiger Mania. So it's like pictures of Hank Greenberg, pictures of Charlie Ganger's house, yeah, yeah. pictures of like them walking down the street. You know what I mean? Like just, I mean, pictures of them doing everything and anything. And Heine never got his picture in the newspaper. Barely, barely, you yeah. really knew who he was. Well, 11 games. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, so Heine, so it, it, I forgot if, I forget if this is 34, 35, but Heine, he like, he'd been telling the Detroit Times for like time after time after time, like, Hey, you know, why can you know, he's basically joking and whatever. He's like, when can I get my picture in the newspaper? Yeah, like, yeah. I want to let at least people know that I'm on the team. You, you, know? you quote me all the time. Yeah. How, about, how about you give a fellow let a, me get a, a, yeah, throw me a bone. Let me get a, 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 a five by seven. Get a bat in my hand, you know, like this. <laughs> and so at least let me look like I'm on the team, you know, get, a, get one picture. Is that going to really get hurt you? Give me batting you? practice. You give me a batting yeah. practice. Come on. But like he was, but he's trying to get in the paper with yeah, his yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to like make it look like he was a heroic tiger in the picture. So he was always telling him like, when are you going to get me in? When are you going to slot me into paper it's not gonna hurt anything give me one picture you know? <laughs> so he's always trying to get them to do this anyways i have a photo in here like uh, say maybe we can put this up for the viewers or whatever but um but anyways the picture actually says in the caption here you go Heine. Uh, in the caption of the photo they're like talking like a message to him they're like Heine's always telling us that we never put him in the paper so here it is. they actually say that in the mirror like brilliant in his Heine stand there with this bat on his shoulder like he's like this you know, like major contributor <laughs> guy like heroic it. pose he's like this yeah. and he's like you know they're going here you go Heine like it actually says it in the quote <laughs> but I guess what that ties into the concept of this team uh, you know what I mean the engagement of the fans like you open your newspaper up and there's a I mean what would you see that now nah, would you see that yeah, now with a yeah. you know, like where, the, where there's a banter between the newspapers and the team and the players where there's a connection between the fans where they look at the paper and they say like here you go Heine you know like and the, and the fans are going oh that's hilarious dude Heine never gets his picture so they're like connected with the team you know what I mean it's like there's a there's a there's this like you know this this connection is like a I mean, that that draws you in to these play to these people like, it sounds like a stories. it sounds like a fun time in the city it yeah. really it does yeah. you know it's, it's we're actually going to have an opening day coming up here in Detroit July yeah. July 27 they're they're talking about is uh twenty twenty crazy twenty twenty year and yeah. shortened season and uh but they're gonna they're gonna try to do a season. I mean, you know, yeah, it's it's be, still yeah. a long way between now and the yeah, and then who knows if it'll way, actually yeah. happen. But uh yeah, it, it's it's it, just the excitement uh that sports can bring. Um and just the city was on on fire there in thirty four. That's yeah. Anybody just, else? Yeah. Is there anybody else that we're gonna? We don't want to overlook. I mean, anybody. there's a t- the thing is, I'm trying to see, you know some of the stuff I want to save to thirty five because some yeah. have some more you know more relevant thirty five sure. stories. You know, but there's I mean, they, like I say, it's um you know like I say, it's just uh um I, you know what I liked you you shared the the first time you said you have like an appendage and it's like uh, the stories of a writer's search or something. You said you have some like stories of like your search, right? And, uh, oh yeah, like I call it uh, like, uh, travels of a ter- tales of a traveling storyteller. Yeah, that's tales my of a traveling of books, yeah. storyteller. Um, what's another story out out of one of those tales of a, a traveling storyteller? What's another one of the ones that? Uh, I, well, I can talk about the I, one. I, I mean, I the, 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 the one that precedes the Tigers chapter. Yeah, is, I mean, it, it kind of dives into the whole baseball analytics thing. That I, I kind of reference, and I it's actually I think kind of important. Like you said, to mention here. 
which is um, is uh, the story of me meeting a man named uh, Chris C. T. Bartlett. Okay, and it was uh, I was up in Oscoda. It was my first year on the road um, selling books, and uh, I was on it was on this beach. It was an art show on the beach, and and uh, like you meet all kinds of crazy people, man. When you're selling books, you're, ta- you're especially talking sports. You get people yeah. coming. Up. I had a guy coming up one time telling me that Joe Lewis winning the championship was a conspiracy that ah. he never won the. Cha- I'm like, good here's, God, here's the craziest stuff. But anyway, so this one guy, so this guy comes up to me, okay, and he comes up to me, and he's got like a sleeveless shirt. He's got, he's like an older, he's like in his, maybe he's like, uh, maybe like in his late fifties, mm-hmm. and he's and he's walking with a golf club as a cane, right? He's using a golf club as a cane, okay. And you know, he, this guy walking, this guy, he's got like dark, smoky sunglasses on. Like this guy has got eccentricity, <laughs> like radiating from him. Okay, yeah, <laughs> like right. this aura of eccentricity. And so I'm, and he comes up, and we just start talking. You know, I'm just talking to him, and you know, he's in. Uh, our conversation at one point shifted because here I am talking about like I discovered this incredible season. I'm trying to sell these books. At the time, I only had the first book, and uh, our conversation shifted. Because I mentioned the fact, and this is this is a great little you know end around back to this fact that the 1934 Tigers, the infield of the 1934 Tigers, had set the all-time record for most runs produced in a season. Uh. They'd driven in the most runs, and so uh, and I said still to this day that no no other infield. You know, you're talking about Marvo and Billy Rogel, Charlie Gehringer, and Hank Greenberg. No other infield in baseball history has eclipsed their total. And, and this and that's when they played 154 games. Even with 162, they still haven't surpassed it. Wow. Not to my knowledge, at least not in the last few years. Wow. Um, but anyways, uh, so anyway, so I mentioned this fact to him and he says like, what do you know about like, you know, the production of runs? And I'm like, well, I know that it's pretty important, you know, to win a game. And he <laughs> says, you have no idea how right you are. And so he proceeds to tell me that, um, he, that he was like, he's like, well, you know, just like you discovered this story and you're trying to promote the story. He's like, I discovered this analytics thing, this baseball analytics concept and he's like, basically, you could call it Moneyball Two. Like Moneyball One was this big analytics thing that changed baseball. It was they open up the door to this thing called Sabermetrics, which is like a scientific study of baseball and such. But he was like, uh, he's like, I just I changed baseball forever. I have the greatest discovery in baseball history, like analytics wise. Like I can build baseball teams better than anybody else. And I'm like, this is like kind of crazy. Like you know, again, like why are we starting to drift into crazy town territory? <laughs> Anyways, he tells me, says, um. You know, I'll be back later. He's like, I was like, I told him, I said, you know, I'm really busy. Do you have anything I can read? You know, do you have anything I can take a look at? And so he was like, yeah, I'll be back later. I'll, I'll come back later. And so he does. Later on in the day, he gives me this little, he comes back with this old periodical. It was like this paper bound periodical from like 1982, hand, you know, hand stapled and everything. Uh, impressive looking work, but it was, you know, just from like 1982. And he comes back to me and I put it in a little plastic sleeve and take it home with me. And um, so I, I get home that night. I'm like, what the hell? I'll give it a read, right? And so by the time I was done reading this thing, I was like, not only did I take it out of the plastic sleeve, but I was like putting it in like a glass case. Oh my. Because it was the great, he, this guy is eccentric as he was and as outlandish as his claim may have been. Yeah. This guy had changed baseball forever. Uh, and no, but the problem is nobody knows about it. No, nobody had no, nobody knew who he was. He had no mouthpiece. He was, he was, he had this, he had all these weird, like um, these health problems. So he was always sick. He could never promote his work the way that he should have. And so that, and so he, the very next day I was on the phone with him, I called him up and I was like, oh my God, you blew my mind. Uh? This is the most, I'd already written a book on with baseball, you know, history and yeah, yeah. analytics and stuff in it. And I, and I was just like, I, I told him, I said, this is the greatest discovery. I, I mean, it, everything I thought I knew about baseball has changed everything. And he was like, um, he, he just told me, he was like, yeah, I go. And I said, I go, how come baseball doesn't have this? How come you have, how come you haven't, you know, the, the world hasn't been changed with this. And he says, uh, he says, well, how come nobody knows about the city of champions thing? Like, how come, you know, yeah. why haven't you been yeah, able yeah. to change the world's mind with your city of champions thing and get the story of this out? And I was, and, and he made, it was a great point. Like basically he and I were on the same situation. Like we were, you know, we both had like a discovery or something we both considered, you know, that was potentially, you know, potentially a big thing. And, you know, really, we, we uh, you know, he, what he taught me, he'd been dealing, dealing with the, the situation I was in was that the, I couldn't get any, you know, mainstream newspaper attention. And it really was the same situation for him. But he'd been dealing with this since like 1982, 83. Mm. He'd been going through this for, for like 40 years. He'd been going through this. And so, and then, so, and, and so what, what he brought to that table for me at that moment was this idea that it wasn't like this wasn't me just like looking at something and saying, 
you know, making a mountain out of a molehill, like saying like, yeah. well, how come nobody is interested in this? Like people be like, well, because it happened so long ago. You know, it's just you. It's just you who's interested in this project. You know, you know, it's like, you know, maybe sh- it's not a big deal to everybody else. You shouldn't get so excited about it. But he was the one that was telling me like, it is a big deal. Yeah. And the problem is not you. The problem is the, the fact that you're trying to reach out to people that are so basically set in a mindset that they just, you know, they exist in their own. Like you can't just go, you know, they have an incredible difficulty of of just think, you know, just like uh, thinking outside the box and mm. like recognizing, you know, an idea or something new when it comes in front of them. And so that was the idea. That was so. His name was Chris C. T. Bartlett, and we became incredible friends. Yeah. Um. He taught me everything he knew about the, about his analytics thing. I even added my own weight to it, and I and I actually introduced the concept in in that second book to that Tales of a Traveling Storyteller, and used some of his stuff to evaluate the players. Cool. But, and you can um, find those. We got uh, Detroit City of Champions is a trilogy of books. Uh, DetroitCityOfChampions.com is the website. Yeah. And, uh, man, so, and we're, and there's so many players, but we're going to hit on, we're going to do individual episodes on yeah. some of these, uh, yeah, we're gonna, on some yeah, of these big dogs. Yeah. Um, and then just so much to talk about because there's, they're 1935, the Lions, the Red Wings, the Tigers all win their first championships. And then there's a, a 33 total championships. Gar Wood, Walter yep. Hagen, you know, there's track, there's field, yeah, there's ski shooting. Sport. And uh, we're gonna get to hockey, the junior hockey. Just uh, and we're gonna we're gonna get to them all. Uh, if you want to dive into it, and again, it's just not a big infomercial for the books, but you did put a lot of hard work in. in yeah, those. I mean, it's do you, yeah, how many? Solid. Yeah, how, do you are you do you sell? Is it a constant yeah. flow? I mean, because yeah, it's, it's my primary business. Yeah, is it you yeah. just sell the book? Yeah, and, been, yep. yeah. And because uh, it's like because it's not timely, right? It's not like it's it's no. The, the bit, um, one of the things I've discovered about like the book sale, like initially when I first started, I was like I really I was trying to hit the sports sections. I was trying to like get into like you know I was trying to sell books like to like fans. You know what I mean? Like yeah. hey, you know, I would go to like the Gibraltar. I was like selling books, um, like you know to like at baseball card shows. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've tried every single place. I've been. I do. You name it a little venue. I've been there selling books. A lot of people that might be listening to this have probably met me. I, I've met. I've, ta- I've told this story. I mean, I've I've been everywhere. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've bathed in every great lake in the same summer, selling books at every art show you can think of. But um, uh, yeah. So this, yeah. So this is um, yeah. This is this is my primary thing. You know, I I, I, I was gonna say I start off trying to sell to like sports fans, but I quickly realized that really the best way to sell books is not just to target the person you're trying to get them to read, but to to basically to sell them as gifts. Right. <laughs> so, right. 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 Like sell them to somebody mm-hmm. that's gonna buy the gift for the sports sure. fan, not necessarily for them. You know. So. Okay. And so that's kind of the market that I'm in. And so I do a lot of. So that's why the art shows are great because there's a lot. It's like you know, a lot of you know gift shows, handmade mm-hmm. gift show type things. And so I'm in a lot of these stores. And, and yeah, you, you see that you go. I know who would love this. Yeah. Um, and you probably know somebody who would love this story if you stuck around this long. Uh, yeah. We appreciate everybody who's uh, hanging out. Yeah, and, you can actually find listening. the books. You know, there's besides the website, you can actually have a look at them if you go to uh, Partridge Creek Mall in Clinton Township, oh, okay. or Twelve Oaks Mall in Novi, or Laurel Park Mall in Livonia. Um, there's a Michigan art store there called Inspire Marketplace. And okay. I have the books all in there. So oh. every once in a while you find me in there. Um, okay. You know, I, you know, I, and, man, I'll be, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If somebody comes in and starts talking about baseball or <laughs> City of Champions or anything, even it could be just like some some little old lady that's just uh, got nothing else to do with yeah, something. Yeah. in there and go, oh, these books are cool. And I'll be like, oh, right, well, you want to hear about 1935? Well, let me tell like, you a little something. <laughs> yeah, like spend half my day talking about this. You know, So I still love the subject even you know after 10 years it's still – um, you know, I love it still. So that's cool. Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna unfold them, and I love hearing you tell the stories because it's like it's it's this is so much better than a book on tape because it's you getting excited about the different parts that are exciting, and then me saying ridiculous crap in between. I hope you don't mind. My no, little... I enjoy the concept though, because right. you know, telling you know, it's, you know, it's like because I you know originally like you know we were I was thinking about the how we're gonna do the format, like you know, should we have like pre assembled questions or whatever, but. No, I just like the idea because, like, um, I just like the concept of you and I just talking about it because yeah. because what I'm trying to, you know, the story and the things I'm trying to lay out, it might not necessarily be, you know, you're asking the questions that maybe the listeners are asking too, you know, and that's I think that's good instead of me just trying to sit here and pound the story home, be like, <laughs> everybody hear this, this is the way it is, listen yeah. to this, but you're actually hitting it with the you know, questions that are today. I pulled some inf- information off of uh, yeah. VintageDetroit.com is where I was pulling some of my info. Uh, some stats and stuff. Pretty cool little website there. No, it's and, a great. I've, I absolutely. I recommend that site. Yeah. I love that site. Yeah. And your your site, uh, D- DetroitCityOfChampions.com. Yep. I'm DJ Jamie Detroit, uh, dot com, and on all the socials, Matt Fox. Yes, sir. 
He's uh, we love Matt Fox. Ah, yeah, he's. he's I'm been, just sitting back and learning, clicking I, all I, the see, buttons. I, I have for us. no. Cr- yeah, he's I like have, doing like the yeah the, the DJ back there, like spinning the, yeah, <laughs> the switches uh, and all. This but stuff I have back no there. idea about the 34, 35 Tigers. So yeah. all the all this information is just that's, what, I mean, it's, my that's mind. what I'm saying. Like yeah. even like you know even if you're really not even a Detroit, a Detroit sports fan, I just think that it's just a great I, baseball I story. Love, I, love I love the history, history. and I love yeah. his, I love history and just these you know these great names. Yeah, fucking flee. Flea. Schoolboy. I thought, I thought Flea was a bass player for Red Hot Chili yeah, Peppers. He, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. He might have been named after him. Right, From right. the le- legend has it that uh, Mi- that Mickey Mantle, if you're familiar with the name Mickey Mantle, yeah. mm-hmm. that he was named after Mickey Cochran. Oh, that's the room. That's wow. the well. That's the, the story that I've heard. All right. That wow, uh, that cool. his dad was listening to a game or whatever and was like, "Oh, Mickey, Mickey Cochran." That's a, or that he was like a great fan. That's of a Mickey, good baseball that was, name. Well, that, like his dad was like a huge God. fan of Mickey Cochran. That's a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got more research to yeah. do. All right, so uh, Detroit City of Champions. Uh, next time, I don't even know what we were talking about. It's going to be more great stuff next time. More I think next the, time we're talking about. Story. Actually, I think we're going into the thirty-five Tigers a little bit. So it's going to be okay. sort of an extension of what I think. That's what we're talking about. Like, we can talk about. The, I think we might be talking about the fans. I got some great stories about the fans. Oh my gosh, which shows a lot about. Like, that's that's one of the things that I you know I was trying to talk a lot about the players now. Twelfth man or whatever. Um, yeah, but more about the excitement of these players. I've got some of the greatest. The, some of these articles that I've collected about the, the fan excitement of just mm-hmm. what these fans, just how excited they got in these. These crazy stories yeah. um, of like just fans, like the behavior of the fans of just trying to get into games, um, like the stuff that happened after games, like the I things like that it. they would go through in order to get tickets. I've got some great stories. So I think that I think we're gonna for the, that next episode. I think we're gonna be talking about the thirty five Tigers, but I think I want to we want to try maybe tie some of the fan yeah fan stuff in with it. I think yeah, well that's cool. that's uh, yeah. All right, cool. Yep. So Detroit City of Champions the podcast. Uh, thanks for being with us, and we'll do it again. All right.